Have you ever been in a situation where you're approaching the green, you throw your upshot, and you're 20 feet past the basket? Now all of a sudden you're mad at yourself because you missed the upshot and you miss your comeback putt. Those really hurt. They hurt a lot. In today's episode, we sit down with Robbie C. Disc Golf and we learn how we can master our upshots so that we never miss another putt again. Today's episode, he teaches us all the tips and tricks that he has on how you can become a better player when it comes to upshots. We learn so much about Robbie's career, how he got started in disc golf. You won't even believe how long he was playing disc golf before he even found out about the Pro Tour or starting his very successful YouTube channel. Robbie is one of the most successful disc golf YouTubers out there and we get to talk to him a little bit about the business side of YouTube and disc golf. We talk about his YouTube channel and we discuss what are some of the best parts about having his YouTube channel and what his goals are moving forward with his brand and his channel. You're going to want to make sure you stay tuned through the end of this podcast to hear why if you are a player who only throws one brand of discs, you might actually be hurting yourself instead of helping yourself. And if you haven't already, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash chainclankers. We've got a ton of cool perks going on over there, so make sure you get your eyes on that. We'd love to hear any feedback you have on it. If there's something more you want to see in it, hey, let us know. Maybe we'll make it happen. Link in the description below. Again, that is patreon.com slash chainclankers. Keep leaving those ratings and reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We highly appreciate you guys doing that. Subscribe to us or follow us wherever you're listening to this podcast from. We've got new episodes every Monday, new YouTube videos every single Wednesday, so make sure you are subscribing over on YouTube. We're trying to close in on a 1,000 subscribers, so every person who does that, we do appreciate you and your help on accomplishing our goals. Without further ado, let's get Robbie C. on the mic right now. Hey, y'all. My name's Robbie Crawford, and you are listening to the Chain Clankers Podcast. Everyone, you've seen him on YouTube, you've seen him on Instagram, the legend himself, Robbie C. He's got them awesome pigs, he's got that awesome YouTube channel, super cool guy. Robbie, how are we doing tonight, man? You know, living the dream. It's a beautiful day, we got to throw plastic today, so, I mean, how can life be bad when you do that? How did you first get into disc golf? What was the first, like, experience for you? How did you initially find and figure out about disc golf? Yeah, so I... Played a lot of Ultimate Frisbee in high school. Uh, actually started a little Ultimate Frisbee club with my... I went to a very... I lived, grew up in a very small town. Uh, and so had like... There was basically the church, the high school, a little private high school, a Publix, and a Burger King. That's like... That's what we had. So we felt big time because we had a Publix. We used to play Ultimate all the time. So I went off to college and played Ultimate at school. Played Ultimate for my school. And my brother, my oldest brother, I have two, my oldest brother got into disc golf. He moved up to Indiana and he was a church intern and they were like, Hey, for youth ministry, we're all going to play disc golf. So he started playing disc golf, had a good time with it. And he was like, Robbie, you need to come up play disc golf with me. So I came to visit and I could always like crush him at ultimate Frisbee. I was a handler. If you don't know things about like, there's actually positions in ultimate and all that. So I was throwing the skilled shots and he's like, you need to come play. So he hands me a Wraith as my first disc. And he's like, you should throw this high speed driver. Okay, cool. Like, 
yeah, I throw big shots. Here we go. It was awful. That disc was terrible. So I, two holes in, was like, forget this. And I was throwing my ultimate lid pretty far, but my brother was out driving me. And my brother had never been able to throw a disc farther than me. And so I'm just like ticked. I'm like, you know what? Like these, these disc golf discs are cheater discs. And so I was like, I'm never playing this game again because I don't like doing things that I'm bad at. And so losing to my brother, no bueno. I come back down to school in Alabama and my friends that same summer were like, dude, guess what? We got into disc golf. guys, we're not disc golfers. We're ultimate Frisbee players. Like, come on, stick with it. They're like, no, we're disc golfers, dude. So we started playing disc golf. We started playing literally every day. And I went from a uh, wraith to a sidewinder. And then I had a rock because back then it was like disc craft wasn't on the map. Uh, trilogy, I'd never heard of them. So it was like, you, buy, you go to Dick's, you buy Innova, you're good to go. And I knew like Blizzard Boss, that that has a big number on it, but like, nah, fam, I don't need that. So we start playing, throwing a sidewinder, love it, fell into the classic trap, bought a groove because I needed a high-speed driver, didn't go well. But yeah, so I started playing disc golf, and we would play literally every single day during college. And so grad played that, did that for two years, played disc golf for a long time, and truly just fell in love with the game. I loved the aspect of it's me versus the course, but also I can crush my friends and I felt really good compared to my friends, but like legitimately didn't know that there was even a pro scene in disc golf for like the first five years that I played. Like I saw the names on the discs and thought to myself, I have no freaking idea who that is. Like, all right, cool. Like Ken Klimo. Cool. Yeah. Like sick. Apparently he seems decent. I like the beast. So this Barry Schultz guy, he, uh, he seems cool, but yeah, so that's my, that was my journey with disc golf was I got into it, played for a long time or played for several years and just very, very, very casually. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people, it's kind of just like a word of mouth. Like it's kind of here something to do or, Hey, like, uh, we need somewhere to go smoke pot, but we also don't want to sit on the couch and you know we could throw some stuff while we smoke pot so that's pretty cool or i went to the park to smoke some pot and i saw some people throwing and i was like hey what's that about and then that's how they discovered disc golf i feel like that's like you know maybe like 15 20 percent of people that discovered disc golf 100 percent. like and i one of my favorite memes that i've seen of ever and being a frisbee thrower for a long time is a frisbee is the only object that you can hit a complete stranger with and it's okay like you drill a stranger in a park with a football and you're a terrible person. But if you throw a Frisbee and hit a complete stranger, everyone's like, oh, nobody knows how to throw Frisbees. It's okay. So something that's interesting to me about that story, right, is like the five years of just being casual with it. You know, I feel like in today's world, like at least for us, you know, because we're fully into it. And a lot of the people who listen to this podcast probably, you know, have, have they caught the hook. They're, you know, they're being real Dan. And so it's one of those things where like, I can't imagine playing disc golf for five years without understanding what I understand now. So like, when was that moment? What was that moment like for you when it went from like, yo, this is just something I do for fun to I'm going to take this super seriously. And maybe there's a career for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I played, like I said, I played for like five years, super casually. And then my middle brother told me about Joe Mez and he was like, dude 
have you heard of Jomez? And I was like, is that a real name? Who is Joe? Uh, and he's like, no, Jomez, dude. Jomez Pro. They're recording like Paul McBeth and Ricky Wysocki. These guys are world champions. And I'm like, world champion of what, dude? This is Frisbee golf. Like, that's that's not a thing. And then that's when I realized, oh, the people's names on these Frisbees actually mean something. So we start watching them, and I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at me, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, we throw exactly the same. Like how I throw and how they throw are the same. But, bruh, these guys are throwing like a billion miles, and I don't throw far at all. So I'll never forget my brother brings, we didn't have like the iPhones then weren't even that great. So he brings a full on iPad to the course and we record ourselves and it, it is awful. Like I am doing things with my body. Like I don't even know what this left arm's doing while I'm throwing. Like it's like up here doing things. Like it was wild, but I felt so smooth while I was throwing. And so I started like diving down the road and realizing, wait a minute, you can change how you grip a basketball to make free throws better. You can change how you swing a golf club to hit a golf ball better. And I played baseball in high school. So I knew like, okay, when I step into it, I can change how I'm throwing my hands, things like that. But because disc golf was such a hobby and so casual, it's like I had never let it transition into my mind as being a sport. As offensive as that is to the entire world, it was truly like this is this is a bunch of dudes in the park throwing. And it was so wild because I like knew and had watched YouTube videos about Ultimate, but never made the progression over. Like I grew up watching Brody Smith learning how to throw Ultimate shots from him. And I never, never considered disc golf. And so I'm a teacher through and through. I love to teach people. Uh, I was a youth pastor for several years. And so I love to educate. I love to see that light bulb moment come on for people. And I, I'm a student of everything I do. I always love to learn. So I just deep dove into disc golf YouTube and started learning from Danny, Loop Ghost, Seabass, those guys, and trying to figure out, okay, what... What does proper form look like? And I, by that time, I had like seven years of bad habits that I had built and was so shook by all of it. And it was like so hard to figure out the dip of the ultimate pull and all of these different things. And so I told myself like, you know what? I, I would love to help people not fall down this road. And in uh, 2020 and 2020, I was heading to uh, Disney World and I recorded a video of an in the bag. And I said that so many people do these in the bags, but they make no sense to the common man. And I have a degree in philosophy and I hate when people talk in language that you can't understand. Barriers are not a thing for me. I hate them. So I said, I'm going to make the longest in the bag ever but I'm going to speak as if I'm teaching five-year-olds about disc golf in it in the back. So I start talking about not Heiser when I want to throw a crescent moon to the left. Like that's, I want this shot to go left, all that kind of stuff. Film this in the bag and I post it right before I go to Disney world. We get back from Disney on Thursday 
And on Saturday, the world shuts down because of COVID. Don't think anything of it. No big deal. Little did I know that disc golf was about to boom. So I'd been posting stuff to Instagram, stuff like that, started growing a following. And whenever I answered questions, I would take and make disc golf videos that I was commonly answering the question because I honestly was so lazy that I got tired of answering the same question all the time. So I would make a video and then I would just send the link to people when they'd ask the question, how do you die discs? Whoop, throw it out to them. So that's how I kind of got started and like educating people and making that jump. But I really, I think the biggest thing was when, and really for y'all too, like when's the moment that this turned, like you looked at it not as a hobby, but wow, like I'm actually doing a sport or I'm trying to do something athletic. When we jumped to it and I think being more competitive, you know, immediately, you know, I think before we even went to go play, you know, Quentin showed me Joe Mess and, you know, he's like, oh, here's this Paul McBeth guy and he's like the best. And he's just showing me all these shots. And when you see it before playing disc golf, it's kind of cool and kind of impressive. And you're like, okay, like he's throwing it and he's getting right there every time. And I think one of the videos that we watched maybe was like his perfect round where he went like down like 17 or whatever. And I was like, okay, like he's getting it there like every time. So it's like impressive, but you also don't know what you're watching. So it's like, okay. But then you go play and you don't understand. And like, it doesn't make sense. Like, how was he doing that? Um, and, you know, so I think seeing it first and watching it first kind of made it immediately more like I want, I want to play like that, I guess. Instead of, you know, playing for five years, it's fun. We're doing okay. We're having fun. We're not really doing it competitively as opposed to, okay, I saw how the top is playing. I saw what is possible. And now we go out and play and this just isn't acceptable. You know, I'm throwing a hyzer 50 feet in the air and it's just turning. That's not what they were doing on TV. That's not what we were watching. And I don't think that's what I'm supposed to be doing. So I think I just went into that learning curve, you know, a lot quicker because I had seen, you know, so maybe, you know, going forward, you know, if you have friends, you know, maybe I would say that you want to get into disc golf or people that you might be interested before taking them out to play, maybe set them down and be like, hey, let's watch some Joe Mass, let's watch some YouTube videos of people playing and throwing, because then you can kind of get an idea of what it's supposed to look like. Remind them and tell them like, yeah, he's. Calvin Heimberg, you know, he's getting a destroyer to a hyzer flip and stand up and it go 490 feet. That's not normal. Like, you're not going to be able to do that. But it's something that you can do, you know, if you play for so many years or, you know, so then you want to learn the form to be able to do that. You want to be able to learn how does he get it to stand up. And you see them putting, you're like, how are they putting? Because that's, that's a huge thing when we start out. Uh, you know, making just, you know, seven footers, you like doing this wanky, you know, just throwing it at the basket, trying to get it in there. Uh, it's really, really rough. It's kind of like that big hyzer throw that everybody does. The putting is just as bad. So I feel like when people can see that, it kind of makes them want to improve and take it more seriously. Because, you know, I definitely for sure times I've taken people out or friends and it's kind of a silly thing they've never heard of. So they kind of try, but they're not too worried about it because they're just throwing discs. But if you introduce them to it um, at the beginning, they're like, okay, you know, I don't want to look like that. And especially, you know, if you're going out to a course, people that do know how to play, 
they're going to be able to tell that you're kind of a newbie, which is fine, you know, being new, everyone's going to improve, but it makes people want to try harder and take it more seriously. Yeah, and, and if I'll add on to that, you know, I'll try to go to a little bit of a different perspective. You know, the first, like, three years, kind of like you, Robbie, maybe a little bit, like, I, I, I kind of played, and the first year that I played, my buddy and I, we, we went out dang near every single day during the summer, but we never really took that leap into watching a ton of YouTube and trying to get better. We were, were just out at our course, and we're like, mm, it's more like a par four, not like a par three, because we suck, and so we're going to play it like it's a par four, and, you know, how, and we were like, ooh, we shot plus one today when it really was like plus 19 or something like that we were like yeah dude we're so good at this and then he went to college up in indiana and i just kind of like none of my none of our other friends in the friend group really like wanted to play disc golf a whole lot and so kind of went away i'd kind of go every now and then and then you know of course covid hit and literally i everything shut down pretty much the week before my 21st birthday so the fiance was like ah well you know i guess let's go play disc golf since you've been begging for so long and so then she got into it because she saw it as a walk and i was like sweet you see it as a walk i see it as as competition so let's go get this bread (laughs) and uh you know so did that for a while eventually we came down to wichita where her sister and horatio live and i was like so there's nothing to do and i have four discs in my car who wants to go play disc golf? And, you know, that's how, you know, Horatio and his wife got into it. And so that's kind of like the initial for us. But then also it was one of those things for when we were playing, I mean, we, we talked about starting the podcast for godly four, at least four months, something like that. And we were like, dude, there's, there's really not a whole lot out of there podcast wise. Cause at the time I was doing a fantasy football podcast also. And, and I was like, there's nothing out there podcast wise where I can, Put it on in my car, go to work, and I can get better at disc golf. There's just nothing like that out there. If you want to learn about the pro scene, sure, yeah, you can do that. But there's no way that I can go and I can, you know, like we're going to talk a little bit later, I can't get better at upshots by putting on a different podcast that only talks about the pro scene. I can't get better at forehanding like we talked with Avery Jenkins the other day. And so we were like, you know, we also, we're not, I guarantee, I'm going to put $1,000 on it right now. Horatio, you and I will never get to a thousand rated and that's okay. That's probably just literally how it's going to be. And I see that you're hurt over there, but I'm being honest. Okay. I'm being realistic with my own expectations about myself. And it's, it's one of those things where I'm okay with that. And I understand that not everybody is Calvin Heiberg. Not everybody is Paul McBeth. There are so many more people who are playing in rec than they are playing in MPO. So how can we all collectively get a little bit better? And I think you do a great job of doing that as well in teaching people how how you can get better at this sport, how you don't just always have to suck. You know, today I took out all my coworkers, like 10 of us or so. And I mean, this is the, literally my fiance was like, you're dreaming. This is not real. But I literally convinced my boss to let us go for a team outing to go play disc golf and, and drink beer. And I, and it was so much fun. It, I had a blast and I think everyone else had a blast also. And, you know, a couple of them were like, oh, wow, I took a quadruple bogey on the, on this 300 foot hole. Like <laughs> I suck at this. I was like, no, no, no dog. Like that's just how it is. when you get started, we all have to start from somewhere. And so I, I really, I do like the story overall. I like how, you know, going 
from casual, getting a little bit more serious about it, learning and, and being vulnerable. You know, we talked to, with Cody Deal a long time ago, and I continue to bring this up, being vulnerable and being able to look at yourself and be like, you know, I suck at backhands. Let's work on it and let's get better instead of just choosing to do the same thing over and over again. So I, I want to talk about expectations with with doing that. You know, how did you ever set expectations for yourself? How, how were you able to track that you actually were getting better at what you wanted to be getting better at? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm a firm believer in clear expectations, lay them out. Uh, I made a video about this recently, but I think that as a society, we run away from setting expectations because we don't want to be disappointed. And what if I set this expectation and I come up short? Like, then learn. That's that's okay. We're, we're allowed to fail in life. But I, for me, we had a couple courses in town. We have one track that is park-style golf, pretty open. There's The hardest part about the course is that there are sidewalks running all throughout it that kind of like dip in like this. So if you get in the sidewalk, it like ice hockey or like air hockey pucks the whole way down the sidewalk and never gets out. So as soon as you start falling in, you're like, oh, that's OB. Bummer. But we also have a track that is uh, one of my favorites that I've ever played, and it's pure woods, pure elevation change. Absolutely love it. And so for me, it was my expectations were, all right, I've played this course multiple times. What am I shooting here, and am I getting better? And not only are the scores better, but did I feel like I achieved that same score easier? Like, was I less shocked that I got that score and seeing those improvements overall? So kind of like, you don't know you have a crooked line until you compare it to a straight one. My straight one was I played this round and I felt really good about it. So I'd write it down. And then three months from then, I would come back and I'd play that same course and go, okay, did I play it better today? Did I play it worse? Did I get lucky today? I think that's another thing people don't factor in is like, we do get lucky, and a lot of times players, especially beginners, when they have a good tree kick, we'll call it a great shot, and when they get a bad tree kick, they'll call it unlucky. You aren't allowed to take the good luck and not take the bad luck as well. It's You aren't that good. Uh, like, lean into it. It's fine. It's fine. But did I, like, I scored better today, but also, wow, that disc popped up and rolled towards the basket 100 feet. No, that was a bad shot. And I need to tell myself that was a bad shot. So uh, I I am very positive when I talk to other people about their game. I am inside right here, very negative when it comes to my game. And so I try to kind of live in a realistic expectation and truly set those boundaries over and over again. So that's kind of how I measured. And then I also... GT Hancock played with him recently. He's a prodigy pro and GT. I said like, are you a forehand guy, a backhand guy? And he said, he's a Swiss army guy. He likes to have every shot available that is needed for every course. And so I, I kind of leaned into that and I think it's a really good way to put it. I love to be able to walk into a course. If I need a tomahawk, then I'll throw a tomahawk. If I need a thumber, then I probably will not throw a thumber. The only shot that I feel like I don't have consistently in my bag right now, besides like the big, big distance shot is a roller. And that's just because in the South grass and weeds are like hand in hand. So there's very few courses that a roller actually works because the grass is so thick that it just eats it. So I have never seen a need for rollers, and I also think discs are designed to fly, not roll. So I don't throw rollers. But yeah, that's been my biggest 
way to measure is just playing course the same course over and over again and tracking it. And then another way that I really like to measure, am I improving, is to look at sub discs and say, hey, I can't throw this right now, or when I throw this, it's crazy overstable and it's just like fading out on me a lot. But I come back to that disc six months from now and I say, hey, when I throw this now, for a long time, destroyers, you talked about uh, Horatio, like Calvin Hyber flips a destroyer up and you think like, okay, cool. I would love to throw a destroyer on an Anheuser line the entire time, but it ain't going to do that unless it's 120 grams and I ran over with my car eight times. Like that just doesn't work. So I can throw race in that slot, but all of a sudden race are starting to flip on me. So am I ready to flip up and like step up and start throwing destroyers, things like that? Like, am I actually seeing flight characteristics of the disc? Who knows? So I think that's another really good measuring stick that a lot of people don't think about is that there were discs that aren't meant for you as a beginner. And that's okay. Cause there's 8 billion discs. Go find the ones that work. Then come back to them and shock yourself that, 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 uh, We'll go to the Discraft fans. That stalker that you thought was really overstable, all of a sudden you're actually seeing it turn and fade with you. Fantastic. There's room for that stalker early on, but it's going to be a different shot. Yeah, you know, I love that. And I think that's one thing. You know, I get I get companies and businesses need to make money and get the bag. But, you know, I think that's one thing that's really ruined, especially the amateur side, is just how many discs come out constantly. And players are just wanting to buy new discs. And especially this offseason, like everybody was super hyped about players going to different companies and, you know, getting different sick tour series discs and all that. So it's like all these new discs that came to the market and people want to support their favorite pro and they want to get these discs. And so they get all these new discs and they don't give it enough time. They don't even break those discs in. You know, they don't beat them in. They buy them and then you know, they have them for a couple months and another disc comes out and there's so many, only so many spots in your bag. You know, even if you have the biggest bag possible, there's only, only so many discs. And so, you know, when you buy a new one, you're like, I mean, you're not going to buy your new disc and be like, you know, that's a cool disc, but my, my bag is good. I'm not going to put it in there. And so, you know, people put those in there. They have it in there for a few days, you know, never gets beat in, never gets, you know, to the point where they're throwing it like you're talking about getting that flight and then boom and now somebody wins a tournament oh we're putting another signature disc out you know to celebrate another disc comes out people buy more discs and they never ever learn to fly those discs because they're constantly you know and i think that really really hurts especially the m side you know pros they're gonna stick to their discs you know you're not gonna see ricky wysocki like oh chris dickerson just put out a new buzz i gotta buy that you know, or, you know, Ezra Anderhold just put out a nuke that bombs. I have to buy that. No, you know, they're going to stick to their bag. It's funny, you know, pros are sticking to their bag. You know, they put their in my bag of 2022 or whatever. They're sticking to that. If they go to different courses, they're going to throw in maybe two or three different discs that cater to that course. But you'll see some players that are like, yeah, like I've been throwing this Firebird or whatever it is since like for 10 years i've had this in my bag you know for 12 years you'll see players you know throw something in the pond they're like hey i lost this today if someone could get it back to me that'd be great i'd pay you money because it's been in my bag for 12 years it's like perfectly been in beat in you know so you have them you know the top of the game having holding these dishes for that long because they finally figured out to fly them perfectly but then you have the M side getting all these discs pushed on them 
and they they don't even have a disc in their back for like more than a year. And you can't beat in a disc. If you play on the weekends, you can't beat in a disc and fly how it's supposed to in less than a year. You know, you have to spend time with that disc and get used to it. So, you know, I think that's I, – I hate seeing that, and I love seeing the sport grow and, you know, companies making disc and making money. But I think that really, really hurts the business. Um, trying to get back, you know, to <laughs> to the tangent I just went off of. Uh, and so how can you continue to support pros? buy discs and you know, get those cool new discs but continue to improve your game you know is there anything you have on that yeah i think that's a great question one of the one of my favorite things to do with discs in general is i love playing one disc rounds because i think that if especially if you walk up with uh i know y'all are upper part guys so you have your shift bag and you've got that thing stocked full of what like 20 23 discs something like that so that's a lot of options when you're stepping out to a course and when you're playing for comfort, you probably won't even pick most, like there's probably half those discs you won't even use during your round, especially if you're at a course that you play regularly because you walk up to hole 12 and you're like, boom, I know Horatio, you're a disc crap guy. So like, oh man, this is my meteor hole, baby. Every time I play this, I'm throwing a meteor. So even if you have someone comes out, MJ comes out with a comment and you're like, man, I'm curious about trying the comment, but you, it never gets a chance because if you throw something other than your meteor, you're uncomfortable already, which means you're probably not going to throw that comment to give it a fair chance anyways, when you go to throw that. So I love just stepping out into full discomfort and being like, all right, cool. I'm just playing with this comment the whole time. You go out there, you throw it on every single shot. So that way you beat it in a little faster because it's not going to go well. And also you learn what the disc can and can't do. So for our weekend warriors who only get one round, I think that's a great way to lean into it. But I also think at the same time, like if you're looking to support the pros, it's it's okay to buy that disc and hold on to it for a little bit because it's not perishable. It's, I mean, that's, I know that's one of Jesse's biggest things over at Trash Panda is like, it's not perishable. So when we have all these new discs, like we're just adding more and more plastic to the world. But I, I think it's okay to like sit on that, come back to it. And then if you, especially if you're a tournament player, shifting your bag around all the time is never going to get you consistent results to climb in your rating and climb in those things. Uh, but if you just play for fun, I know Joseph at another round uh, makes a lot of content. Love it. I'm pretty confident that Joseph has a new disc in his bag every single day. But Joseph's also a really good player, and Joseph also isn't playing competitively. So you have to. I think you just have to decide. Like, do I, as an amateur, is my goal to enjoy the sport as much as possible? And if that's the case, go try whatever you want. Play those one disc rounds. If your goal is to improve, I, you nailed it, Horatio. Stick to it. Find those discs and don't rotate and lean into them and figure out what a beaded disc flies like. Yeah, I think that's such a good tip. And if you like tips like that, if you like what Robbie's been saying so far, hey, make sure you check out his YouTube channel. It's Robbie C. Disc Golf. Hit him with a subscription. Hey, you probably already subscribed. My guy's closing in on 30,000 subscribers over there. So big congratulations on that. And I know I've I've had some discussions from other people and they wanted me to kind of go down this path a little bit. So so I'll, I'll, I'll skirt here for, for a hot minute. So 
you said that you uploaded the first video, you know, the in the bag. I can see that. It says it's two years ago, right? So talk me through two years ago. Did you ever think you were going to have 30,000 subscribers? And, and what's been the key to your success on YouTube? Uh, the key to the success is that the people of disc golf are amazing. So let's just call that what it is. I did. I ever think I was going to do it full time? Absolutely not. Uh, I, I have talked on the phone with Jesse over at trash panda. We talk every week and we, or we try to life gets busy. And so, uh, we started talking in January of 2021 and he said, Hey, do you ever think you're going to do this full time? Cause I'm doing trash panda full time. And I was like, heck no, dude, this is a hobby. Like we're, we're having fun with it. And at that point we had a little over a thousand subscribers. So not a huge following, anything like that. And my goal, once again, was just to teach. So I started uploading in March. I think by June, I had uploaded like five or six videos. It wasn't a ton. I wasn't very consistent in the beginning. And I started uploading once a week. And I told myself, I have to act like I'm a professional without seeing any of the results. I have to upload consistently. I have to add I can't do copyrighted music I can't like I can't play that game I have to act like a pro and do this but one of the biggest things that I learned on YouTube and once again I try to be a student of everything is I just started watching videos on how to succeed on YouTube and I looked at some of my favorite content creators who aren't YouTubers and looking at some of what they do and leading into that and when I learned that YouTube is a search engine that changed the game because what I started doing was I thought to myself, what are common questions that I'm getting asked a lot? Because as I was growing on Instagram, until I reached 3000 subscribers, if you followed me on YouTube or if you followed me on Instagram, you got a personal message from me welcoming you to the channel, welcoming you to the account. And it was like straight up, I spent most of my free time. My wife would be watching TV. I would be sitting next to her and I was just answering messages, answering messages, answering messages. So over and over again, that's what I did. I try to connect with people. And when I got questions a lot, if I got asked the question 10 times, it went into a bank. That was a future video. And so when I viewed YouTube as, okay, cool, this is a search engine. You had to think there's three ways to get your video viewed. You have to have a title that people want to search. You have to have the other way that your video gets searched is the words that are in your thumbnail. So that's another way. And then the third way is if it's in your description, that's another way. So YouTube takes those three things and pulls them together. And that's how when you type in, how do I throw far? That's why if you ever want, like if you want to start a viral YouTube channel, make a video about throwing far because everybody watches those. Like, oh, I threw, I started throwing a hundred feet farther in one day. Kudos to you. Don't know if, like if that's true, you either you're throwing really poorly or you have a secret, the straight truth. So try to hook people in. And I think where people feel bad about YouTube and I think like as content creators in the, in the podcasting and you guys are uploading every Wednesday, make sure you go check it out. Uh, you guys are doing this. People are afraid of the word clickbait and I don't, I, maybe I should lose sleep at night over this, but I don't think it's a bad thing. If you are using clickbait to bring someone in, the only way it's bad is if you don't deliver. If I tell you this tip is going to revolutionize your game and the tip is you should buy Frisbees, 
you should never trust me again. I have lost your trust as audience. But if I'm telling you like how to park your upshots, never have to putt again, like whatever it may be, if I believe I'm providing the quality of material that answers that, that's, I believe I provided value. You could disagree, but I don't believe it's clickbait. All I wanted to do is get you to click on the video because I believe that you spending eight minutes to watch this video is worth it for your time. Okay, you know, so you do those things, you know, you get people to come, you do clickbait, you deliver. There's a lot more YouTubers now, you know, just with any, it's not a niche anymore, you know, especially for disc golf. There's everyone's a YouTuber. Every pro, you know, I would say like 80% of the pros are YouTubers and they're trying to be. And then, you know, maybe 5% of them are successful YouTubers. Um, and then, so on top of that, now you have fans and everyone else, you know, being YouTubers. How do you set yourself apart? You know, you, you, you know, you can say, be yourself, be original, you know, put stuff out that speaks to yourself. Um, what do you do, you know, to set yourself apart? Because you can't do, you know, every week those, how do you throw far videos? Eventually, you know, you're going to be throwing 700 feet and you're going to run out of a hundred foot a day videos. So what do you do, you know, to set yourself apart and continue to bring people in? Yeah. Well, if I'm ever throwing 700 feet, Horatio, I'm going to credit you in this podcast right now. The, uh, the chain clankers bump, I believe y'all called it with, uh, when you were hanging out with, um, Chandler, the old channel. So if that's the bump, if I start throwing 700 feet tomorrow, literally you guys just start charging to bring people on your podcast because uh, that's incredible. I would say the biggest thing is you have to be intentional with every single video. I believe that a lot of people are trying to cash in on the audience of YouTube. So what they are thinking, and it's the same thing. I know we're going to talk about this in hot takes, but I believe sponsorships in general, people are viewing disc golf as a cash cow. And I want to dive in on some of that, but people can sense the fakeness in you. So if you are a faker and you aren't genuine, then people know it. Like 100%. If you never show a video of you missing putts, people don't believe it and they don't connect with it because we all miss putts. Paul Macbeth misses putts, misses putts. And Paul Macbeth is the GOAT. Let's call it what it is. So that's like you have to be genuine and be like you have to connect with people. I really don't like the video that I put out today because I feel like it's like super moany and complainy. But people are commenting and saying like, hey, we appreciate the genuine side of it because your boy took an 11 on a par four at Music City Open. A double ace. I took a double ace on a hole. That is wild. But trying to share that story shows people that, hey, yes, I do believe I can coach you and make you a better player, but I'm trying to learn myself. And as we do this together, it's connecting with people and giving them those hooks. I think pros, the ones who are making it, are being intentional about what they want to do. Like they are thinking, this is something I would want to watch, so bang. The pros that aren't making it are saying to themselves, I'm so-and-so. So because of that, people just want to watch my stuff because I'm hot stuff. Like, no one is that good. There are very few people that are that great that we will watch them regardless. Simon Lazat, probably one of those people. But even Simon, love the guy to death. When he makes certain Vlogmas videos, the diehards push through. 
But I think a, a large amount of his audience doesn't follow and watch those videos from front to front to back because there are times where he's just putting it out there to make content. And that you can't do. You ha- If you're going to make a video, you have to be intentional about it. We cannot just feed the machine over and over again because like you said, Horatio, there are so many people making content. If you aren't intentional in putting quality out there, straight up, I'm going to call it here. You're being rude to the disc golf community if you're not putting out quality content. Not, no, no apologies needed. I mean, it's straight facts. There's so many people out there who do put out those YouTube videos or podcasts or things like that where, you know, maybe they have the name and it's cool because they have the name. They're going to get whatever. They don't have to be consistent. They don't have to put out good content because they will have a baseline at some point. It's just, is that baseline profitable enough for them? And it, it, it's one of those things where I really think that, you know, hopefully we're doing it. We try to put something out intentionally every single week whether it's on Instagram, YouTube, or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you're listening to this on right now, that it is intentional. It is helping your game. All of those things. And, and you know, honestly, I, I remember when we connected on the uh, on the Team Discord, uh, Discord initially, and, and you, you were kind of talking about that little thing, you know, messaging everyone that follows you on Instagram. And I was like, dude, this dude is so smart. Why have I not been doing that? And literally since doing that, I've been able to connect with so many more people and understand their faults. And then it just allows you to be even more intentional. So like props to you, dude. Like honestly, like I know I look up to you because you've done a whole lot in the community and just like you said earlier, you know, a fantastic teacher and allow others to be able to learn from you, your mistakes and your, your good, your goodness, you know, all those different kinds of things. So, uh, big props to you on that, but it, it does kind of lead me to, and, and I'm an accountant by trade, I guess. And so it kind of leads me to wanting to talk a little bit about the balance sheet. And, you know, this is something that, you know, you've got 30,000 subscribers. You're doing great on Instagram. Also, is this something you're able to do full time? Is that a reality for other people? And you know, what, what are you looking to get more out of your brand and your product? Yeah. So I, uh, I worked for a publishing company that writes curriculum for churches. Uh, I worked for them and I traveled around training youth pastors on how to do their job. I did that till uh, from 2019 through 2021. Uh, I got called into my office January, 2021 on a Friday. And they were like, Hey, by the way, we can't afford to pay you anymore. So uh, we need you to pack up your office and head home by lunch. That's going to be a proper yoinks. Uh, Okay. So like I said, we had just over a thousand subscribers around that point. I just started talking to Jesse and literally told him, I like, I will never do this full time. So we go to family Christmas that same weekend, call my parents and I'm like, Hey, (laughs) my wife and I are going to be there early because uh, I don't have to work till five today because I don't have a job anymore. (laughs) Like here we go. And I, when I find myself uncomfortable, I just make a lot of jokes. So you know, classic deflection. We head there and my parents, every gift that I got for Christmas that year was, I have my like birdie R logo that my parents had bought me. Like they paid someone to design that logo for me. And then I got shirts and stuff with it. And then they handed me a plaque of a website that's still not live. RobbieCDiscGolf.com. Like that was it. So when we drove home from Atlanta, my wife and I were like, what if, we just went for it. Unemployment exists for a reason. 
what if we did unemployment and let that balance us for a little bit? And I just, I act, I truly acted like a professional and dove in after it. So we did that for two months. And by the end of March, I had 6,000 subscribers, which was wild. I filmed a video to celebrate. I filmed a video on Friday to celebrate reaching 5,000 subscribers. And by Tuesday I had 6,000, like it was wild watching that happen. And so because of that, I have been full-time doing YouTube since January 15th, 2021. Uh, and because of that, I think that's a very large reason why I'm able to grow the audience that I can. Uh, I think it's a very real reason why we have almost 30,000 subscribers, but I also like, I, I don't take it for granted truly that I get to wake up every day and try to connect with people and help them enjoy this game a little bit more. And so do my wife and I make a billion dollars and do we make Simon money off of our YouTube videos? No, like absolutely not. But also when you're a youth pastor, like you don't make any money anyways, basically. So like, it really wasn't that hard to replace that income being straight. So like we already operated at a low level and it's been great to kind of lean into that. But I think like the other beauty is we get to help people fall in love with the game. I would love to see and build a program of coaches that when you go to do a lesson with someone, you know, I have a certified coach in this. I would love to create an academy for disc golf YouTubers who want to do this. I think something that uh, I, like I mentioned him a lot because Jesse is truly like my best disc golf friend. We believe that we are paving the way for content creators in the disc golf space. So it is my job to negotiate with manufacturers, retailers, and things like that, and to know my value and make sure that they don't take advantage of y'all as content creators that they don't, you don't, they don't approach you and be like, Hey, chain clankers, you guys want 10 free discs and you can call yourself in of a sponsored. And you guys are like, Whoa, I want to be in of a sponsored. Heck yeah. Let's go for it. They're robbing you when that happens, like robbing you. So my job is to unfortunately be mean sometimes and say no to certain opportunities because I have to fight, not just for me, but I truly believe I'm fighting for everyone coming behind me. I'm fighting for the 15 year old that's watching and listening to this right now and wants to get into disc golf one day, but knows they're never going to be thousand rated. I believe there's a spot for them in the sport. And so that is why I do what I do every day. Definitely. We need more of that being a solo sport. You know, you do play doubles. You can play those casual rounds with friends, but at the end of the day, it's a solo sport. You go to a tournament it's you for yourself and it's you for your rating. And so unfortunately you do get a lot of that selfishness and a lot of people, you know, looking out for themselves. So what you're doing, you know, and I think we need a lot more of that of people helping others. How many people do I need on my shirt at tournaments, you know, so that I can become to that level? You know, I don't think that that's the way it should be. It should be, you know, I need to, I need to improve. I need to grow. I need to enjoy it and get to that point, you know, because, you know, when a lot of the pros that we're seeing now, like Paul McBeth, you know, Greg Barsby, a lot of, when they were coming up, there wasn't that money. There wasn't, you know, all those sponsors, they were just doing it because they loved it and for the grind. But now there's just so much stuff floating around. I mean, you see kids sponsored by three different companies because those companies 
are trying to get their name on there. If you're willing and able, since I said it earlier in the episode, we were going to talk a little bit about Upshots. Let's spend just a, a couple of minutes on Upshots. I know once we get talking business and stuff, I can go literally all night, but let, let's transition just a little bit to Upshots, then we'll go to Hot Takes. So, so when you're thinking of an Upshot, right, Robbie? So like, what is going through your head? You know, talk me through an upshot. If you're sitting at like, I, I think a tough range for myself is like 125, you know, how, because that's one where I still have to put some power on the disc to get it there. I can't just barely float it and it's going to be right next to the basket. How are you able to put a little uh, hot sauce on the disc, but able to keep it close? Like what, what's your routine for upshots? How, how have you made upshots such a strong part of your game? Yeah. So, uh, the first, the first tip to upshots is have a great disc, right? Like if you, if you have a great disc, upshots become a lot easier. Uh, I think upshots require two types of discs. You need a really overstable disc and you really, you need a really understable disc that you can throw really straight. So like for me personally, I have surprisingly, it's called a pig. Uh, I love the pig, uh, big fan, obviously not for sale, the shirt, uh, or the pig. Uh, but I, I love my pigs. I throw pigs a lot, super overstable, super reliable. My other shot that I throw is just through those sweet tarts is a pole kitty. Uh, love the pole cat, big fan of the pole cat. When I got team stamped pole cats, uh, the person at the ordering thing was like, did you make a mistake? And I said, no, I, I actually meant to order pole cats. Yep. That's a thing. So, I love both of them. And what I do to practice upshots is I first, I always believe in starting at the basket and working backwards. So if you feel comfortable, you have to talk about, I call it your comfort circle, your putting, where do you feel like you can make 85 to 90% of your putts? That's your comfort circle. So most people are like, oh yeah, 20 feet. And I always laugh because that's the number that everybody gives is 20 feet. And I say, cool. And I set them up at 20 feet right there. And I say, I need you to make nine putts right now. And they're like, oh, and then they miss like six of them. And they're like, well, that was a lot of pressure, dude. You put me on the line. And I'm like, welcome to the point of the comfort circle, bro. Like that's why you're putting from there. So I tell you, find your comfort circle. Don't be ashamed of your comfort circle. It's okay. Because the more you lean into it, the more you practice that, it grows. And when that grows, that's your aiming point for your upshots. So, so many people, when they're throwing upshots, throw at the basket. I don't give a rip about the basket. I care about landing in my comfort circle. So, if your comfort circle is 10 feet, which is totally understandable, and for someone who's like 5'5", five, five, you're like 10 feet, you only have to make the disc travel 8 feet through the air after you toss it. That's simple. So, you practice that. But if your comfort circle is 10 feet, you have a 20 foot wide circle all the way around the basket that you can aim to. So if you try to throw it to the basket, that's a much smaller per like area to land. But if I throw my upshot wide left and I on a forehand and it for right-handed players, sorry, to my lefties, you the ones in your right minds, I throw it on a forehand, it hits and it skids in to that 10 foot mark. I had so much real estate that I could land on and it slid into that comfort circle. Best part, can you make a 12 foot putt? Sure. Absolutely. Can you make 15 foot putts? Sometimes, right? Horatio's like, no, Horatio's six feet and in bang. Uh, so he's got to, and don't, don't be ashamed of that, right? Like, don't be ashamed of that comfort circle. So you're aiming for those over and over again. My favorite drill and what I do literally once a month is I'm a pig farmer. So I have an obscene amount of pigs, like obscene amount. This is why no one in the Birmingham area can buy pigs because I literally buy all of them. Sorry, not sorry. 
so when I go to I go to a field and I throw literally a hundred pig up shots with my forehand and a hundred backhand from a hundred feet. I throw them, and if that was too far, I throw them from fifty feet. And I make my comfort circle around the basket and I shrink it by three feet. So now I have this area around the basket and I throw a hundred from there, a hundred backhand, hundred forehand. Then I move 50 feet back and I do a hundred, a hundred. I do that. So I am throwing literally a thousand shots. I have five different distances I set them for. I'm throwing a thousand shots. Why that's helpful. People love the Bushnell rangefinders. People love rangefinders in general. If you don't know how far you throw your discs, a rangefinder means literally nothing to you. But because I've thrown thousands upon thousands of upshots with a pig, if I'm at 125 feet, I know from muscle memory what that feels like. That's a no step, flick of the wrist. Like that's that upshot. So when I bushnell it, I now have confidence because I put the time in. People focus on putting reps over and over again. Your putting reps grows that comfort circle, but upshots are the one thing, the one throw that you can practice over and over and over again, because nine times out of 10, as you approach the green, it's either open, it's straight, like you can practice that distance over and over again. Tee shots are always going to be different. Like you can practice backhand hyzers on wide open courses, things like that. But if you get the reps in on that upshot over and over again, fantastic. The other little tip that I'll give you is when I say comebacker, as a quick question, how would both of you define a comebacker? For me, it's when I miss too far. Like it's it's gone past the basket. So now I have to come back. But there's also the, you know, you just miss. And so now it's your next putt. Okay. Yeah, I would say probably for like a par. Um, and you know, you miss and now you go along. So you have a comebacker to save or for birdie, you know, you miss it and you know, you need a comebacker to save for your par. Okay. Love it. And I totally baited you into this trap. Your payment's coming later. People hear the word comebacker and immediately associate it with a miss because if we go past the basket, we tell ourselves, I have done something wrong. I have played too much disc golf. I have thrown too far for this hole. But sometimes there's more room on the backside of the green. When you're throwing an upshot, if we're just trying to slide up to the front of the basket, that is not always the easiest shot to execute on an upshot. If I throw my shot, and as a beginner, I'm not great at accuracy anyways, rather than teaching myself to land in front of the basket, there's no difference unless there's OB behind it. There's no difference between a 10 foot, foot, 10 foot putt in front of the basket and a 10 foot putt behind the basket. So if I plan on throwing my upshot past the basket, I give it a chance to go in the basket. No putt has ever landed 20 feet short of the basket and gone in unless you're Chandler Fry once again. Two, if I go past the basket and I stop telling myself I've missed coming back, like going past it, there is no comebacker there. I just have a putt for the backside. I didn't miss my initial putt. I mean, maybe you did, but like it's, I can't view it that way. I have a putt from the backside. So I think when we eliminate the idea of comebackers, upshots become way easier because we play so much more confident because no one feels confident making comebackers because you've told yourself, I missed. So it's not a miss. It's a putt for the backside. And, and, and that's so true because there has never been a singular time that I have 
thrown past the basket and I've been happy and I've been like, yep, I meant to do that. It's literally every single time that I've been playing disc golf for the last three years, I've been like, I have missed what I intended to do. And I think it's also interesting because I've talked about on the podcast and on Instagram before of, you know, you want to have that landing zone spot, kind of like you were talking about with your comfort zone. You want, you want to have that. So if you land 10 feet around the circle, it doesn't matter where it is, you're in the zone, but for whatever reason, every time you go past, there's a negative cognitation about that. And that's literally true. And I guarantee I'm not the only one who's having this thought right now. And, and I think that's something that literally you might not be able to fix your form tomorrow to throw 500 feet. But you know what you can do? You can go out to the course with a better mental mindset and you can go out and the next time you're 20 feet past the basket, you're like, you know what? I now have a tailwind, tailwind putt. I intended to do that. Good for me. This is what I wanted. I didn't want that 20-foot headwind putt in the first place. So, like, I think that's literally something that every single person right now can take away from this episode and can go do. And if you're still with us on YouTube, you better drop a like button right now because that was some flame. And speaking of flame, Robbie, let's get into that hot take. What do you got for us this week? I love making enemies. It's so fun. I believe my disc golf hot take is that for 99% of players who are pursuing sponsorships by manufacturers, it is actually worse for their game overall for them to get sponsored by that company. So where, where I say this is that first off, so many people want to be sponsored by X company, big heavy hitters. If you play any tournament in the rec division, I can, without confidence, I'd bet my firstborn child on this and they aren't even alive yet. You will find a player on your card who throws all discraft. Like straight up, <laughs> that person will throw all discraft. They're in every single crowd. Horatio, you may be that guy. It's okay if you are. Yeah, uh, bro, that's definitely you. But there's a... Outside of your putter, that is 1,000% you. And that's fine. That's fine. Is, it's about, discraft's about like 40% of my bag. So, and that's great. That's great. No worries. No worries. I Trust me, bro. Trust me. I get it. I get it. I, I, I meet them from all but shapes and fashions. I've seen those players, yeah. Yeah. So, like, without fail, I bet my firstborn child, every rec card has a Discraft-only player on it. Why? Paul Macbeth, Chris Dickerson, Paige Pierce. Fine with it. I'm fine with it. But it exists. So, when Discraft's looking at you, you add no value to them. Because you have already given them all of your value. You already are a full advertisement, walking advertisement for them. So why would they sponsor you? Because what more are you going to do? You're already talking about them on social media. You're already throwing their stuff. Like, you don't do anything for them. So it's not helping you get a sponsorship. It's bringing your expectations higher that one day you will get sponsored. And it's probably never going to happen because you've already fallen into their trap. If you're a loyalist and you like their stuff, great. Go for it. Lead into it. All for that. But don't do it because you tell me you're trying to get sponsored. Bad idea. Bad route. Second, no company has the best disc in every category. No company has a complete lineup that offers every player every shot. Firm belief. You look at like, I I can point out weaknesses to every single lineup that exists. Like I, and trust me, that's coming from a guy who's Born that like bears the eat the wings on his back. Innova doesn't have a complete lineup. Discraft doesn't have a complete lineup. They have a lot of options, but for me, it doesn't fit my game. So 
if you are a player trying to play your best golf and you believe I have to be thousand rated to do this and yada, 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 and you're throwing all that plastic there, like when you are sponsored, unless you are Paul McBeth, Ricky Wysocki, Paige Pierce, James Conrad, who gets to build their own lineup of discs to fit their game. That's why they're doing it. Like, because they need to find the disc that fit for them. So if you get sponsored, you will not have a complete lineup. And by just trying to get sponsored, you are not going to have all of the shots that you need to throw the best shots possible. And therefore you won't play as well. You know, so to that, you know, I would ask, you know, we have, okay. You know, we have Drew Gibson who plays open bag and he won Las Vegas and he's a contender. And then you have Eric Oakley, who's an open bag and he is, you know, he's up there in tournaments, but he hasn't won anything. So, you know, the pros, you know, at the top level, you know, are we talking about, you know, just pros in generals or like the top pros? Because, you know, the pros that are winning every single weekend, they are sponsored by a uh, a company. You know, not all of them get to make their own discs, um, you know. So what would you, you know, for that, what would you argue? Yeah, so I, I think this applies to people seeking sponsorships is my like my my hold on it because i believe the best players in the games the one you're talking about can make anything work if you it gave doesn't them, matter yeah, yeah you gave them a franklin discs sponsorship and put them in a local c tier they are still going to murder you on the disc golf course speaking from experience having seen those jokers throw in person and having to compete against them i like ben calloway could have been putting with literal bricks and still like done so good gt could have done it logan could have done it like the people i played with could have done it so i think they are the anomaly for them is it doesn't matter what they're throwing it's why chris dickerson who everyone thought was a prodigy for life player stepped over to discraft and hasn't lost a silver series that he's played in why it's not the plastic it's the player and i believe that 99 percent of people seeking sponsorships are not a good enough player to be able to do that Makes sense at the end of the day. And, you know, especially if you're talking about those who are not at the, you know, top your MPO guys and gals, FPO, you know, it, it makes sense. And I think a lot of the folk here in Kansas that we see, you know, yeah, you'll have the Discraft folk, but you'll have the tr- all trilogy or all dynamic or something like that, which no disrespect to that, you know, throw what you want. But I, I, I almost find myself, you know, being pretty content with my mostly open bag, mostly, you know, maybe I'll stick to two or three different companies for if I'm getting crazy, but it'll be like one disc or something like that. And, and I never really thought about it before, but I, I do think you hit the nail on the head. If you're throwing all Trilogy, why is Trilogy going to sponsor you? They got you. You have fallen into the trap like you had us in the trap earlier. Like, there's no reason for them to give you anything. You're going to give them your business by yourself. So you don't provide any value. And at the end of the day, everything is about value in in business. And so, yeah, those points make sense to me. I don't have any more to add to that. Let's get to the ace round. If you're new to the podcast, these are the same five questions that we ask every single interview guest. And just to see how the answers differ, maybe you'll hear something you haven't heard before. We've had some fun stories in this one. The Matt Bell story about getting in a helicopter before a round and rescuing people in the river. Who would have ever seen that coming? But Robbie, let's get into the first question. Horatio, start us off. Yep. So first question, you're taking a new player out to get their first set of discs. You know, you're only recommending them buy three discs. What putter, mid, and driver would you recommend them buy? Absolutely. So uh, 
putter. I'm going with the Discmania Sensei. Uh, love it. I think that it's a phenomenal disc. They're readily available. They're super cheap. That Chinese plastic is like super affordable. And it is a great throwing putter in the premium plastic. And it's a great putting putter and the normal plastic. And I'm all about bagging as few molds as possible. So if they get this putting putter and they fall in love with it, go buy them a active premium. Bada boom, bada bing. They're throwing 800 feet. Easy. That's what the Sensei does. It just flies. Option or mid-range, I'm going to give them a Dynamic Discs Bounty. Bounty is an understable mid-range, but it's like surprisingly neutral. I think uh, compares to a Meteor. I wouldn't compare it to a Mako. I think a Mako is a little more stable than the Bounty. It is a phenomenal flyer. It is for a reliable, for like when they, they can kind of grow into that disc. So it's going to be a straight to overstable flyer for them at the start, going that left line on the righties. And so it's great, but they're going to grow into it and see it's not super flippy like some people recommend, but it also, like it's a great grow into disc. My driver recommendation is to not get one, but you have to, right? So for the sake of the question, we're giving one with a Valkyrie for three reasons. One, the Valkyrie is just a dope name. Like and anything that like it has some dope art on it and a beginner is going to look at that disc and be like, dang, that's a sick looking Frisbee. I think I can throw that. Two, it's really great for beginners. I would get a lightweight one. I would get one around the 165 range because I don't want it super heavy. It's a nine speed. Could be a little too fast for a beginner, but it's another going to learn lean into it a lot. And what I like about the driver, the third reason, is that they skip like a beast when they're new. If you get a Champ Valkyrie and you throw that thing on some hyzer, it'll go out and it'll skip. It's fantastic. And yeah, so those are the three that I'm recommending. We know somebody on this podcast loves the Sensei, and it is not me. So good shout there, Robbie. That was a good one. Second question we got for you. What is the favorite disc golf course you have played in one course you have yet to play that you want to cross off the bucket list? Yeah, so favorite course I've played, probably uninventive, but it's actually our local track that I mentioned earlier. It's called Inverness Disc Golf. It is, it's like a top five course in the state of Alabama. Super wooded crazy elevation we've got amateur pads and pro pads it is like the ideal tee boxes for playing in the woods the overgrowth doesn't come on them at all they're super clean they're like 12 foot pads so there's plenty of space absolutely amazing if you play for the pro pads even par for the pro pads is like over a thousand rated so super challenging super technical woods golf and i am a big proponent that disc golf was designed to be in the woods because if you can hit lines in the woods, then you can hit lines anywhere else. So firm believer in that. And it also requires some like 450 foot shots in the woods. So very technical, very fun, but also scorable. One course that I, the top course on my list is actually Lake Eureka in Illinois. Uh, it's where Ledgestone happens at. That Eureka Lake, it's the first shot you can probably think of if you watch Leadstone coverage is that like big ripper over the lake with the huge hill on the backside. Guys, like I, the beautiful part about creating disc golf content is that I get a lot of plastic sent to me and I don't have to pay for it, which makes throwing discs over water a little less scary. So... I totally get that. And it's super spoiled. And it's like one of the only things that spoils me is I'm like, yeah, why not? I'll just throw the best disc that I can over that water. There's only one disc I won't throw over water and it's my precious child, which is, uh, you can guess it. It's a pig. This pig right here, this thing never goes to your danger, but 
Yeah, Lake Eureka. Love it. I think it's a phenomenal course, and it's absolutely at the top of my list to play one day. But I got to learn how to throw farther because I would not clear the water. Yeah, some of those courses are very deceiving. They're like, oh, yeah, I would love to go and play that course. And then you get out there, and it's like, I can't. Why am I here? But yeah, I get that. All right, next question we got for you here is one tip you would give to yourself just starting out. Yeah, one tip I would give to myself, I think the easy ones are like, don't throw drivers uh, and throw slower speeds, throw lighter weights. Lame, 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 lame. If I were to give myself one tip, it would be, I I think you nailed it actually, Horatio. I would tell myself to watch Disc Golf YouTube faster. Like I would have introduced myself to Disc Golf YouTube way faster because I believe if I had been playing the sport for 10 years now, and actually knew for the first seven that I was allowed to change my form, I actually don't doubt that I would be thousand rated at this point. Like very true. But because of that, I just built like terrible habits and didn't, I had no idea there was a right way to throw. So I set myself very far behind. Yeah. Makes sense. Fourth question we've got for you. What is your favorite memory playing disc golf? Yeah, I would say my favorite memory is I played a tournament in 2020. It was September of 2020. We had just reached a thousand subscribers like a week before I went to a tournament over in Georgia and I am, uh, like the tournament ends. I played. Okay. I didn't come in last felt okay about it. And I'm like, just, you know, I'm not sulking, but I'm not like stoked about it. Just laughing or whatever. And this dude, comes over at this group and they're like, Hey man, can you take a picture for us? And I was like, absolutely. So I go to take this picture and I snap the photo. And when I go to snap the photo, I was like, all right, everybody on three, one, two, three, leave you with the birdie, snap the photo, which is how I close out all of my YouTube videos. But for now, I'm going to leave you with the birdie. I say that I've been making YouTube content thinking that no one actually cares. Like, it's just me talking to a camera. Here we go. And the guy in the photo, his jaw drops. And I'm like, hey, do, do, you, do you want me to take another photo, dude? Uh, like, your mouth is hanging open. He's like, bro, are you Robbie C. Disc Golf? I have never felt more important in my entire life. I was like, holy cow, this dude knows who I am. The air starts filling my head and I feel like I'm about to pop because it's like, oh man. And then it immediately deflates because he walks up and says something about my hairline uh, because I'm a big receding hairline. He's like, yeah, dude, you're that guy who films the videos like with the receding hairline. I was like, yep, 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 yep. Uh, That's a thing. Uh And then he tells me, hey, I just won my division and I used one of the tips you gave me in the, like in your most recent video. And that is when I knew that it was worth the grind that we were putting into the videos. It was worth the late nights of not hanging out with my wife because I needed to edit a video and get it out to people. And I wasn't really making any money at that point. I like making pennies off of the YouTube partner program. And it told me like, you know what? you're never going to be the best player in the world because you do not have that drive or that effort to become the best player in the world. But you actually can make a difference in this sport if you care enough. And so it was that conversation. Uh, The guy's name was John, and uh, I will never forget him. Receding hairline, deflated, 
hey, we won. All right, cool. So I'm hideous, but also apparently I can teach disc golf. So who does? Who does? Hey, you have a recognizable face or image about you. You want to YouTube, you want to be recognizable, I guess. So, you know, you got that going for you. You don't want to be a plain Joe. But that's awesome. Yeah, you know, that's definitely something really cool. You know, we played tournament last weekend and Quentin was super excited about it because, you know, we had some people or last tournament he played, some people come up to him, you know, just recognize him and say, hey, what's going on? Come up and say hi. And that's awesome. You know, we love chatting with our fans and it's super cool when people, we, when, you know, we see the numbers, you know, people listening and it's like, okay, that's the numbers, people listening, but you don't really think that people are actually listening. You don't believe it, but when people come up to you and say hello and ask you like, okay, so maybe those are real numbers. And Quentin isn't just buying, buying views from China somewhere and pushing these out. Uh, so that's awesome to see. Um, but yeah, really, really cool. And, you know, hopefully, you know, that just continues and people, you know, continue, you know, 30,000, it's going to continue to happen. And, you know, I don't know what Elon Musk did, but he got his hair back. So, you know, if he did it, maybe a hundred thousand, you know, maybe you can get a sponsor for, uh... <laughs> but last question we got for you here is what is the biggest mistake you see new players make? Uh, biggest mistake I see new players make is that they care more about cool tee shots than they do. They spend more time learning how to throw far than they do learning how to putt well. Um, the, I, I know like, and listening y'all to the pat, like listening to y'all in the past, one of the hot takes there, I don't even know it was a hot take, but I know I've messaged Quentin about this before. I believe is, uh, the question of like, would you rather make all of your putts in 30 feet or would you rather throw a hundred feet farther? And like, oh man, I love that question because you look at the top pros in the game, like 100%. And I know Horatio, you've talked about this before. So like the top pros in the game, they're all making those putts, but the difference is who's getting a chance to make those putts. Right? So I think if you look at MPO, it's hard to see that difference, but where I see this like the most is FPO and amateur divisions. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not offending. I'm not trying to say that FPO is an amateur division. No, 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 no. But I think Evelina Saladin's season this year is 100% showing how important it is to be decent at putting. Not even great. Decent. Like, she is most strokes gained Tina Green every single event. And she's like last place in putting every single event. And Evelina has yet to win a Pro Tour event. If Evelina was halfway up the field in putting, like, she wasn't the best, but she certainly wasn't the worst. She would have won, like, every event she's played this season. Unmatched. Because even the best players in the world cannot park their tee shot every time. But you don't have to park your tee shots when you can putt. You don't have to be great at throwing up shots when you can putt. If you work on putting, up shots are easier. If you're great at up shots and putting, drives feel easier because you can recover. So I would tell people, like, it's way more impressive. It feels more impressive to throw a great drive, but if you throw a great drive, I throw a hundred foot shot and then I follow another hundred foot shot and we both take a three. I do not care what your drive looked like because I will never remember your drive. I will always remember the last thing you did on the putt, which is you were terrible at putting. So like lean into putting and it's the other thing that you can practice so much. Because a 10 to 15 to 20 foot putt is probably the same on every green. Like there are way less greens that it's going to be different. 
so you can practice it, lean into it, and hey, I mean, I think we we should, we have a vested interest in becoming better at putting. Uh, hit it with that code. What's that disc dot code, dog? Uh, I'm glad you said something. I was literally just thinking of what my transit, what my uh, transition was going to be there. Yeah, it's promo code chain clankers save yourself ten percent. Or uh, Robbie, what, what's your code? Robbie C. RC disc golf, but don't use my code. Use their code. Use their code. Fans, people listening, use Chain Clankers. Don't use that RC Disc Golf code. Get that trash out of here. Chain Clankers for life. We do appreciate it. But I was literally thinking, though, when you were saying that, I was like, my girl, she, she got to talk to Rick and Tasha. We got to get her on the team or something like that. And we got to change. I mean, look at what happened to Garrett Gurthy. It, literally, my dude starts using Disc Dot, and the next thing you know, he's all of a sudden not a terrible putter anymore. So, Evelina, I'm just saying it. You're not listening to this, but if you happen to know somebody who knows Evelina and you're listening to this, let her know and let Rick and Tasha know and let's let's get something going there. But, hey, Robbie, this has been so much fun. We really do appreciate your time and, and just being able to learn from you and connect with you. It, it's been a ton of fun. Where can people continue to connect with you, follow your journey, watch your YouTube videos? Absolutely. Uh, you said it before, Robbie C. Disc Golf, R-O-B-B-I-E. There's another fantastic Robbie C. D.G. out there. He does all the polls or Robbie Corns. If you message him, I regularly can message him as well because people think we are the same person. We are not. Uh, Robbie Corns is infinitely better than I am. But I, uh, Robbie C. Disc Golf, R O B B I E on uh, Instagram and YouTube. So love to hang out with you guys and always shoot me a message. I promise I'd do my best to try to get back to every single one of them. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking time to sit down. You know, we're not uh regularly in alabama and you know i don't think you have any reason to come up to kansas especially with what i told you but you know if we ever are down there and you have some time we would love you know get around in get some brewskis in or whatever it is you know super fun everyone seriously go check out his youtube channel it's a ton of fun and you can take a bunch of stuff away from it pig man um i might have to take i might have to check out a pig you know just after watching youtube videos and listen to you if I can find one, apparently. If you if you like birdies, get a pick. If you like bogeys, get a zone. Uh, I'm just saying. Uh. Is is that pretty much what it is? That's what I figured. Bird or a, a pig in a zone, kind of the same thing. Uh, I the the small add on is that zones fly like a mid range. Pigs fly like a putter. So you have to throw a zone hard to get it to fly like you want. Pigs, you just can touch them, and it's like, oh man, it's next to the basket. Crazy. That makes sense. Yeah, my buddy just recently got a a bird. And it's the funniest thing ever. And he likes it. He sometimes likes it, sometimes, but it's the weirdest. It's the weirdest disc, but um, it's been working. But anyways, you know, we could talk disc golf with you forever for sure. Again, thank you so much. You know, best of luck to you in the channel. Can't wait to see you know more. Um, you know, hopefully you break through the next big barrier. You know, 50k, and you know, see see what comes after that. Um, definitely, we'll you know be taking some notes. You know, pumping pumping that YouTube youtube game but thanks so much and we'll talk to you soon absolutely thank you guys for having me on if i can do anything to help in the future let me know that's what we're here for